Let us pray. Um, thank you, Heavenly Father, for today. Um, thank you for you are good to us. You have not let us um, not know your ways, uh, but uh, through creation and through your word, you have explained to us who you are. At least a glimpse of uh, who you are, I guess. Um, so pray for tonight. Pray for today that um, you will speak to us um, through this song. In Jesus' name. Amen. Buenos dias and um, bienvenidos. <laughs> Good morning and welcome again. My name is Moises Salcedo, and as uh, Dan explained it, today uh, we're going to take a break from the book of Esther and uh, go into the book of Psalms. Well, at least one psalm in specific. Uh, the book of Psalms is a collection of about 150 songs of prayers. To think about this, it's like to think about a hundred, the 150 songs that are like in the top 10 of the mariachi list, <laughs> or I guess whatever songs you are into it. But for me, that's the best. But some of these songs are praise to God. Some of these songs are lament. Some, some, some songs are prayer. Some songs are confession of sins or thanksgiving. So, the pretty, much, so pretty much these songs are a collection of conversations between God and man. And we are welcome to be an audience and participants at times. Those praise and conversations became alive to us when we are in need of a need of comfort or sometimes in need of our of praising God for the things he has done around our lives. So if you have your Bibles with you, open them up in Psalm eight. O Lord our Lord how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? Yet, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This psalms begins and ends with the same thing, with praising God for who he is. God displays all his majesty through his creation and the way he condescends with people. King David cannot express all the majesty of God with words, so he just said, Oh Lord, our Lord. We could point out that the point out that the first Lord is in capitals, which refers to the very name Yahweh. The name reflects God's perfection and his character. In fact, the Israelites 
try to stay back for saying this name, Yahweh, to keep it named holy. David is trying to set apart the name of God, Yahweh. So he's trying to convey all his majesty with his words. Why is his name majestic in all the earth? When I was in Mexico, and even here in the States, um, uh, I visited very wonderful places. I remember one in Mexico, in a town called Ensenada. Uh, it's about like two hours from my hometown. It's right in the coastal, coastal area. We camped there for about three days, four days, depends how my parents or how my dad feel. <laughs> it was a very rough place because uh, we camp in caves and uh, we get to see a lot of strange animals out there. But on the last day, we climbed to this little mountain. And as we climb, climb up in the morning, we, it seems like we were above the clouds and we could see the endless ocean. But looking back at that time, Looking back to that scenario, not even that can communicate the majesty and greatness of God in all his displays. The whole earth communicates to us the glory of God. It communicates his perfection, wisdom, and power. But that it does not give us a full picture of who God is. No matter how high we rise up, or no matter how much we explore, the majesty of God is found in every single corner of his creation. However, it's only a shadow of who God is. The words from the prophet Nehemiah fit in in this passage perfectly. So I'm just going to read it for you guys. You are the Lord. You alone. You have made the heaven and the heavens of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is in it the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve, preserve, preserve them, all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. Psalm 8 is addressed to God because no one else could fully comprehend God but except the Lord himself. What an honor and privilege that we can call the creator of all our God. If the very name of God projects honor and glory how much more the powerful how much the powerful of his being will express but this passage not only and this passage not only the heavens declare the glory of God but the mouths of babies and infants are also mentioned they are the manifestation of God's strength to steal the enemy and silence it if you take a second to think about this, it is incredible that a baby and an infant then that at that point cannot say a word are the picture of God's strength. It is amazing. It is unthinkable. But it was choose like that by God. You can either like, like be scared or wonder or you can just marvel at the idea that God is so powerful that he uses such a fragile things for his glory. But let us think a little more about that. The ancient culture at this time saw babies or infants as outside of society. 
unless and to certain age. But otherwise, they were seen as weak. They did not benefit society because they could not work or do any labor, and they required extreme care. And even in the times of Jesus, we see the disciples taking away the babies and the infants from Jesus because they don't want him to waste his time on them. And even in our times, a baby is unlike to be used as an image of power. The reality is that we see these little ones as fragile and weak. Very, very cute, especially my kids, I guess. But fragile in the end. And here lies a very interesting about God, paradox of God's plan. He uses the weak to bring low the strong. Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, says, But God chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chooses children to demonstrate his strength to his enemies, but also to demonstrate his children, us, that despite our insecurities and shortcomings, we could be an instrument of his power and strength. Maybe at this point, King David was thinking back when he was just a youth and God used him to defeat Goliath. How many times do we want to prove our strength to others, but God wants us to acknowledge our weakness and ad admit them, and then he, God would like restore us. He would like ask us to rely on him, and, our, and in our weakness, he would be strong. How often are we reminded of our kids that God is awesome? It has been a different week this week for the things that Dan has said. I have to study for this sermon and study for different things. So it has come to surface, surface some of my weakness. It is okay to admit that it has been stressful to prepare this and preach. Well, I admit it. It has been stressful, but fun at the same time. And how fitting that God will use my four-year-old, Mateo, to throw me back to the truth of God. Before, faith, before bedtime, a few minutes uh, before we were finishing one of our stories, we were reading the book of, um, the Jesus story book, and um, we were um, learning about, the, the, um, about Joshua entering into, the, into Jericho. And it was really good because our kids, like, they're at that age where, like, they start to understand and have so many imaginations how things were. But uh, we were talking about how the Israelites hesitate to enter as they walk around and around. They were asked to trust in God. And my four-year-old, Mateo, out of the blue, he just said, I trust in God. What a word. For, for me, it was wonderful. But for God, it was praise. In Matthew 21, after Jesus entered Jerusalem, he went and cleansed the temple. And then he also performed some of miracles. The religious leaders of that time saw this 
and even heard the children crying out, Hosanna, the son of David, the chief priests and the scribes, went to Jesus to ask, have you heard these things? Have you heard what the kids are saying? To this Jesus reply, out of the mouth of babies and infants, out of the mouth of infants and nourishing babies, you, referring to God, have prepared praise. And some may we're not told. The words of the children are saying to silence the enemy of God. But Jesus responds to the chief priest and to the scribes in Matthew 21. It's a reference to this psalm. And here Jesus is saying that by the mouths of children praising God, the enemies are being silent. By my kids saying, I trust in God, he silenced the enemy's voice in my head. By praising, the chi- by, by praising of the children in Matthew 21, saying, Hosanna, the son of David, the enemies of God were silent. Sometimes as an adult, I forget that we are called to be like children in our faith. In different times, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is like children, or that to enter into the kingdom of God, we must be like children. But our culture pushes against our showing our weakness. We're taught that showing power and success will get us what we want. But this passage reminds us that God is often praised through humble, simple, and weak things. Sometimes we can be also proud of our self-sufficiency, but it becomes a necessity and a crutch because our self-sufficiency replaced God. Once again, relying on God, similar to the way babies relies on his parents, is praise to God. He is glorified by our dependence on him. Maybe we will find security in our country for its powerful arsenal or military defense. But we must remember that God uses something seemingly weak and fragile to silence the enemies. So, trust in God. That's my message. <laughs> let's go back to verse, let's go to verse 5 to 8. No, I think I jumped the page. Yeah, I, I jumped the page. Let's keep going. Verses 3 to 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Be patient as I throw some of theological terms at you. God revealed himself through two different kinds of revelations, special, special and, re- and general revelation. Famous theologians sometimes laugh about themselves for coming out with these kind of terms to impress other people. One of my favorite personal theologians, R.C. Stroll, says, theologians come with these kind of names to keep their jobs, which is true that sometimes. They're very simple. So special revelation just refers to how God revealed himself through scripture, the written word. General revelation is how God manifests himself through nature. Romans 1.20 says, says something about this. 
for his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. It pains me sometimes that people go through their lives without acknowledging that nature belongs to God and to his work. Or sometimes people saying that they never knew God or they never heard about God. But it's clearly in this passage in Romans that, God, that these people and everybody, we are without excuse. Because the nature reveals the perfection of God. We can assume from this passage, in verse 2, that David is writing this verse at night because it only refers to the stars and the moon. It never mentioned the sun. I can imagine David standing under the stars around 1000 BC with such a limited scientific knowledge, and he still marvels at the majesty of God. My six-year-old Santiago probably knows more about the solar system that David knew at this time. But still David marvel at what he was able to comprehend. How much more should we marvel knowing that there's more than 5,000 stars to our naked eye and there's more stars or stars as old as sand on the shores of the ocean. At least that we know at this point. So why God care for us? Man seems powerless next to God's creation, at the mercy of storms and sickness. So why is God mindful of us? I'm going to make a point here, so please follow me for a second. Now we'll enjoy God's creation in these days. When summer hits Wisconsin, bikes are so loud. People are walking out all the time, especially through these um, COVID-19. We love good weather. Well, um, I'm a little different than other people, so if it's like below 70, I like to have uh, my heater on. If it's above 75, I like to have my AC on. We disagree in our house, but uh, that's a good weather for me. But uh, whatever is for you, it's, it's fine. But um, I think uh, my ancestors got it some kind of right. I mean, when I talk about my ancestors, I talk about the Aztecs. They saw the greatness of creation, but instead of worshiping the creator, they worshiped the creation. They made a god for sun, the moon, and the stars. These days, we still like have it a little bit wrong, or a lot wrong. Maybe not as obvious as, as my ancestors, but still wrong, because we misuse the blessings of creation. We worship our kids, our bodies. We worship our perfect lawn. We not only worship these things, but we take credit for them, and we do not acknowledge that these gifts are from God. So why God is mindful of us when we worship the creation instead of him? God is mindful of us not because how we respond to him but because we are made in his image 
Do you know that you are his praise, praise it, um, creation? Think about that for a second. I heard the Grand Canyon. It's amazing. And someday I want to see it and see the 5,000 skies at night. But you and the people around you are God's greater creation. Let's keep going. Verses 5 to 8 continue to talk about mankind. They send us back to mankind before the fall. When things, it was perfect and we had harmony with God. So let me read them to you one more time. Yet, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominions over the works of your hands. You have put all these things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds in the heavens, and the fish of the seas. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Some of us have different translation. Um, some of you have like King James or ESV or NIB or the message uh, or I don't know, one of the other 5,000 um, translations. But some of you will have like heavenly beings, like my Bible. Some of you have angels. Some of you will have the word God. So the question is, who are these heavenly beings? Is it God or angels? After giving some time to study of this section, the conclusion is that King David is speaking about angels. One of the, one of the biggest reasons for this is the commenters use um, the book of Hebrews in chapter 2 when it says, You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. This is a big deal. Once more, it says men apart from the rest of creation. Before the sin of Adam and Eve, mankind possesses all the glory and radiance of their heavenly father. Because unlike any other creation, man was created in the image of God. Adam and Eve also have perfect harmony with God and all his creation. Being in the likeness of God, man was given some sovereignty over the earth. God made man the ruler of all creation, and man ruled with love and kindness. God made, God made man the steward of all his creation. Sounds like a huge responsibility, and I think it was. It looked like more than a full-time job, but they did it out of love and kindness. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve walk away from God and turn to sin by desiring to become more and more like God. Being made a little lower than the heavenly beings, it wasn't not enough for them. So the beautiful image of God was tainted by sin, and all the generation to come was affected by the idea that they want to be more like God and more in the way that they were supposed to be. Man lost direct communication with God. And he no longer can stand before his creator because of sin. 
that doesn't mean that everything was lost. Man was still crowned with glory and honor because mankind retained God's image. But our position and our call was changed. Again, going back to uh, that passage in the book of Hebrews, uh, that passage gives us a little bit of light and hope in this last part of this um, chapter in Psalms. So I'm going to read to you Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 to 9. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You make him for a little while lower than the, heaven, than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, put in everything in subjection under his feet. Now, and putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of God, crowned because of uh, glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So by the grace of God, he might taste dead for everyone. The, pas- the author of this passage directly quotes from Psalm 8. John Calvin commented that it seems strange that the author quoted Psalms 8 as a messianic psalm, or as a psalm that, refer- that referred to Jesus as the Messiah. At first glance, this psalm appears to be just um, a comment of the description of man or humanity in general. But the psalm must point, must point beyond itself because otherwise we read and in wonder at the fallen state of creation and how we rule over it. When natural disasters occur, where sickness is spread beyond our control, where is our dominion? over these things. It certainly seemed off from having all things under our feet. Clearly this world is not working the way it's supposed to be intended. We see that we cannot subdue creation. And at times it feels like we are subdued by the creation. Even though we retain some of the honor and glory from being made in the image of God, the consequences of fall does not let us manifest the glory of God in the way we once had. Our position is lost, and something or someone must have to bring it back. Let me give you an example of this. So, my wife and I have recently enjoyed this TV show or reality show called Storage Wars. (laughs) I love it. Uh, it's so much fun, and it brings so much joy and so much fights into our families. But it focuses on these three and four um, people who go through um, these um, storage units that have been abandoned, abandoned or left behind. The manager will cut the lock of the unit, and everyone is allowed to peer inside. They make it very clear you can only peer and not touch. Otherwise, you cannot be in this um, bidding war. 
So this is uh, one of the TV shows. Here's always a slight intake of breath when the door is lifted up for the first time. Even Adrian and I, we don't want to miss this part. So much fun for both of us. Usually things look a mess of junk, but then sometimes there is a covered piece of furniture or some suitcase stuck that cuts the glimpse of the people. After a few minutes of glancing, the bidding war starts. Sometimes it's a cathedral. Adrian, Adrian and I like to bet who will get the right price. Sometimes these storage um, units, they go for thousands. Even I've seen like 15,000 for one unit. And remember, these guys not even know for sure what is inside the locker. They only cut a glimpse. Sometimes the whole unit is a bust. And serious money is lost. Usually, more than often, the new owner starts to go through the locker and look at the items, and the money is made back beyond their expectations. A simple card box of jewelry contained thousands of thousands of gold, or behind a, behind a pile of cheap amps, a limited edition of an electronic guitar. Sometimes we see old furniture, paintings, sculpture. You never know. The treasure is almost, it's always, always hidden. Lock shoppers, locker shoppers don't know the full picture when they make the risk at the buying the, the locker. So how on earth this story relates to this song? Let me tell you. When King David wrote this song, he had so much, so much limited knowledge of the future redemptive work of Christ. In fact, he might not even know that this was a, this was a messianic psalm. But we, have, but we have a better vantage point that David did. When we see in the locker at that treasure hidden under the old dusty sofa, but David had no have to peer from the age. Jesus is that revealing treasure. He is what redeems us to our old situation. He restores us to our rightful place in creation. Though he is God, Christ incarnate was made for a little while lower than the heavenly beings, than angels. He became man, which allowed for the possibility and the probability of death. And just as God used infants and babies weak instruments, to proclaim his power, Christ also was seen weak. But God used him to demonstrate his strength to silence his enemies. His temporary humiliation will lead to everlasting exaltation. First to Christ and, those to, and then to us who will reign with him. So this psalm has pointed beyond man. It must point to the one who once again manifests all his glory. It points to the one who once again put everything in subjection to himself perfectly. We know the hidden treasures of this psalm. First, that Christ brings down the enemies of God. Secondly, God spoke creation into being, and all creation is made by and through Christ. 
And finally, that this psalm is that in Christ, those who believe in him will restore to their previous glories. At this side of heaven, we can say with fully joy and, ar- and understanding, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for today. Thank you, God, for your goodness, your love. Thank you for demonstrating your goodness, your power, your glory, and your majesty to your creation. In Jesus' name, amen.